This is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. On this week's highlight show, we have an interview with Matt Corshane. Matt is the co-founder of the website Data Golf. It's a terrific website for all things golf analytics. We talk about the state of golf, and really we focus on the U.S. Open, which is a major golf championship that is happening this weekend in Los Angeles. Matt Corshane. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. This is Kate Masios this week with the whole crew. Eric Bradlow is here. Shane Jensen is here. Audie Weiner is here. We are delighted to have Matt Corshane back with us. Matt was with us sometime. We're trying to come up sometime, maybe two years or so ago. He is the co-founder of Data Golf. Um, fantastic website for all things golf, especially all things golf analytics. He co-founded this website with his brother, Will, back in 2016, and it's grown significantly. We use it regularly. We use it on the show to talk through things, and some of which we'll probably get into. But Matt, we're always happy to have a chance to talk to you guys. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Looking forward to it. You guys are up in Canada, right? Or at least you're from Canada. Am I remembering that right? Are you there now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're based out of Toronto. Yeah. Are you lamenting yet another Stanley Cup without Canada representation? How How's that thing going down? Uh, well, I grew up in Ottawa, so Leafs are not – I'm happy to see them lose. So, uh, <laughs> But, yeah, Canada in general has not won a cup in forever, but I have no sympathy for the Leafs fans. So, <laughs> All right. Well, listen, man, let's talk golf. It's a very got- common Canadian uh, – I think that's a very common Canadian uh, attitude. Yeah. Yeah. So as many Leafs fan as are overrunning Toronto, there's a bunch of Leafs haters there as well. Is that is that it? Got it. All right. I understand. Um, it reminds me of a baseball team in a major North American city that we speak of on occasion. All right, Matt, let's talk U.S. Open. We've got the U.S. Open this week in Los Angeles, Los Angeles Country Club. We also have some, I don't know, world shaking developments in the world of golf that we can talk about some. It's not really for analytics, but it's, you know, in the middle of everything. Those things come together because this major is one of the few times that we see the live golfers playing, competing against the PGA golfers and the uh, Euro European tour for that matter. What are your thoughts from, you know, just at the high level or at the outset about what we'll see in Los Angeles beginning Thursday? Um, well, yeah, so it's at well, LA country club, which is a new course for, professionals we like we have no data on it um there was a and like a there's been amateur events there there's a bit of a narrative going around this week with max homa who um he has the course record 61 he won the pac-12 champs there when he was in college so the betting market is actually super high on homa compared to us um but like high level this week i think this does seem like it's always a guessing game but it does seem like a bit of a different course than normal normally u.s opens are you probably think of tory pines long <clears throat> narrow fairways deep rough um this week like the architecture buffs on golf twitter like they're all about this course everybody's raving about it so like it should be from a entertainment standpoint it should be really good um matt what are the um, architecture buffs raving about what's what's unique about this setup uh i mean i don't necessarily agree with them but they're all about their big thing is strategy and giving players options um that's what they like to see with golf courses so like there's a whole like whole six at la uh, country club is this short par four that it's like a sharp dog leg right it is drivable but it's got a an angled green 
And so depending on where the pin is, you might hit it in different spots. Um, and so I think, I guess, and LA is like super undulating too. Um, and so you'd contrast that with Torrey Pines again, where there's, it's pretty much just take driver, bomb it straight. If you hit it in the rough, gouge it out of the rough. Um, so they think it's going to play a bit different, but it's still, the USGA is still, it's still going to be a US Open. I imagine it's going to, it's, play, it's going to play tough. Um, the rough, I don't know exactly how tough it's going to be, but I think it'll, it depends on the conditions. They're trying to get it firm too. So it, it should still be a U.S. Open course, I think. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about the Max Homa narrative. You said he has a course record. You said he won the Pac-12 out there when he was in college. Um, but you also said you're not as big on him. It, where, where do you have Homa? So one of the things that Data Golf does is you have your own world rankings, essentially. You also have model predictions for any given tournament. Where do you have Homa? Setting aside the tournament, the course, whatever adjustments you make for that, just in general, what is your model thinking about Homa these days? Yeah, I mean, Homa, he's had like a pretty mediocre last three months. So now he's down to 17th in our rankings. And yeah, that's just based on a neutral course. And that's only using round scores. It's not using any more predictive stuff. Like we, obviously we have shot level data. You can improve predictions using that. But so that's just using round scores. He's down to 17th. He was up to maybe as high as like seventh earlier. Um, so he hasn't been playing great. And then the other thing with Homa is he's one of the worst performers relative to expectation in majors he really has no um yeah like he's i mean he's kind of burst onto the scene the last three years he's really kind of become an elite player but again we're always comparing to his baseline to evaluate how well he's played in majors and he's yeah we have a we have a plot that just has like the x-axis is performance in non-majors y-axis is major performance and home is like a big he's a big outlier i think he's he's got one top 40 in his major championship career. So, and may, and we will probably get to this, but major championship performance is reasonably predictive of future major championship performance, like with Brooks. Um, so that's another thing going against home. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. The, like the betting markets, at least at the softer sports books are really high on home. Okay. So uh, Matt, Eric's going to jump in here a sec, but I've got to ask one follow-up question because we often talk about clutch performance here and whether it exists and how it varies across sports. Brooks Kepka is hard to dismiss on that front um, as, you know, some people maybe really step up in these moments in your analysis, other than Kepka, who else should we think of as departing from expected, maybe in either direction, who else outperforms or underperforms notably in your analysis in major tournaments? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's names that are going to be familiar. Like Steve is a huge major championship overperformer. Uh, Reed, Fowler, Phil, I mean, Scheffler's been good in his short career. Even guys, uh, maybe guys you wouldn't necessarily expect, like Xander Shoffley has played really well in majors. He obviously hasn't won one, but he's he's played really well in majors. I mean, most top guys, and honestly, part of this is uh, is probably course fit because most major championship courses are uh, are uh, are new courses, so we might not be capturing the fit that well. And like when we're comparing performance relative to expectation, that fit part of it isn't in the expectation, so. Some of it is that, but it's also just, I think, which would be, would fit with intuition or narrative based thinking is like the top players do perform better in majors. Like it's a high pressure environment and like the guys in their first major, it's, they do struggle when the data backs it up. So Matt, you mentioned that Homa was around 17th, but could you give us a sense of 
like whether it's in terms of win probability or expected strokes per round, like what's the difference between, let's say, someone ranked first and someone ranked 20th in your ranking? So we talking about, could it be a shot around? Like, our, you know, it would be, you know, if they all make the cut, we would expect one, the 20th place person end up four shots behind, or what's the win probability ratio of the top golfer to the 20th golfer? Can you give us just some sense of how big an effect we're talking about in golf? Yeah, yeah, no, that's important. Uh, so we, our rankings are, we present them as strokes per round better than an average PGA Tour player. Although with Liv now coming onto the scene, we've had to sort of, so the PGA Tour fields have weakened a bit, so we've had to kind of correct our baseline. But that doesn't really matter. It's all just a relative comparison. So usually the baseline I like to use and think about is like a top five player in the world is usually around, in any given year, is usually around two shots better per round than the average PGA Tour player. Um, So a shot is a lot. A stroke per round is like that's going to be the difference between right now in our rankings. uh, The, yeah, there's like that can be that can be 60, 50 ranking places or more, depending where you are. Um, but then, yeah, at the same time, like Scheffler, we, we have Scheffler as the best player in the world and he's like, we have his skill at 2.7 strokes per round better than average PJ tour player. And he's a full shot better than the seventh ranked player in the world in Victor Hovland. So there's big gaps can open up too. like right now. There's kind of like Scheffler, Rahm and Rory had sort of, they had a lot of separation there for a while. Just one quick follow-up to that. What's the standard error of measurement? So like, um, can you give us a sense of like, is one or two shots like, you know, is uh, I, I kind of follow this. I remember in Tiger's peak, he was averaging like, I don't know, 69 around or something like that. So our scores 70 plus or minus two. So is like one stroke, yeah. like a half a standard deviation or how big are we talking about here? Or maybe what I'm asking is how does it convert to win probabilities or probability can, A beats B? Can I just follow up real quickly on that? Because I, I do think that would be really helpful given how much variance there is in golf to make that translation. Like when, when we talk about a guy being, um, you know, 17th versus first or whatever, what does that mean for probability of winning or probability of top five or something like that? And now you may not be able to do that real time, Matt, but that's that I I agree with Eric. That's the, that's a helpful translation. Yeah. And I guess maybe something that I was going to ask about it, just kind of talking about effect sizes and variation. You talk about the variation between the number one player and the like number 20 player, how much you also, but you also talked about kind of course fit being a big factor. What's kind of, what's the effect size that you can kind of see on course fit? Like, you know, a particular golfer from their kind of best course fit to their worst course fit, how many strokes kind of like, you know, assuming like 18 hole course at both. I mean, how many strokes are we kind of talking there? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I can give a quick breakdown of that. So the, the first thing about the, the round-to-round variance, so just taking like the residual variance, let's say, so once just variation, whatever, deviations from our best predictions, it's usually around like uh, the typical tour course, like 2.8 strokes per round. So it's, yeah, it's way bigger than um, typical differences. most differences between players. So like I could do it quickly on our site now. Like I'm trying to think if two players, it would be a good way to present things, like the win, the 18-hole win probability for a, a player who's one shot better than another right. player. I would guess it's like 65% or something or six. Honestly, it might be lower than that, but, but anyway, the number is yeah around 2.8 for rounds around variance. And then like the course fit stuff, um, like a huge course fit adjustment would be like a half shot. I think the biggest ones in our data are when they go to, um, 
uh, El Chameleon, which is in Mexico now. And actually live actually played an event there. And there are guys there. It's a, it's a course that's carved out of the bush. And it, so it really favors accurate players. And the biggest adjustments there will be a shot. So a shot per round for a guy who just hits a dead straight and well, relatively wow. straight and, um, and doesn't hit it far. And yeah, so those are huge. Like when we first started and we were more active and combative on Twitter, um, I think different times, Twitter wasn't as bad back then. Uh, we would, we were big anti-course fit and anti-course history, but, but now, and it's kind of a thing where it's like most of the time. So like, if you looked at all of our data, uh, across all courses, like the standard deviation and the course fit adjustments would be like small. It'd be like maybe like 0.1 or maybe like point or even, I mean, that means there's t- a 10 Sigma event happening. Maybe it's a bit bigger, but it's, they're pretty small and same with course history, but it's sort of a thing where like when it does matter, it, it can matter a lot. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. What, Eric, I want to get to you a bit real quickly. What does that mean for what you do with the Los Angeles country club? Because you said you don't have any history there. So, so is it one of these where you're like, well, I hope it's one of these point ones. It doesn't matter very much. Or do you try to make some other kind of crude adjustment? Yeah. So we'll look at the scorecard and we'll make some crude adjustments based off of that. But scorecard can be like, if the course plays really firm this week, then because it's a long course on the card, there's some like 280 yard par threes. There's uh, a bunch of 500 yard par fours, but they're not going to play it all the way back every day. So, but we made some small adjustments based on the scorecard. And then also just looking at, we have like a blog post on our site, just looking at the typical fit of each major championship, at least other than Augusta, the ones that rotate around courses. And yeah. so, but in general, we're not doing much this week. I think we're, we're emphasizing distance a bit and underemphasizing accuracy a bit, but we, we're not going to take a huge stand. And honestly, that's partly because of what people use our website for. Like we don't want to take a huge stand on, even if we thought that this course really was going to favor distance, it's, I don't really want to be making uh, people that are betting using your stuff. Like I don't really want them to be making all these bets based off what's essentially a guess from us. So it's pretty generic this week. Yep, Got it. So, Matt, this is kind of a, it's one question, but it's, it's not got three parts, but it's got three connections to what I think you do. So this is a data golf live kind of statistics question. So let's say you have golfers that have never played the Los Angeles country club. Let's say there's never been an event there. So I could imagine a lot of things you could do. One is you could take course characteristics and try to use course characteristics to predict the difficulty or how a given player. So Shane Jensen plays well on this types of course. He's never played this course before, but he's played well on this type. Another could be Shane Jensen has never played this course, but Shane Jensen has played other players who have played this course. That would be another way to do it. So how do you make projections in, in some sense, the classic statistical problem when you have no data for a certain player playing a particular course, kind of how do you think of that? You can get into, as far as we're concerned, we're an analytics show. You could tell us the technical details, but I'm just interested philosophically. And the reason it relates to live is before this merger had happened, we may have ended up with a day where live golfers and PGA players never really play against each other much, but they play similar courses or sometimes they play against each other. That's why it's related. So I'm just wondering philosophically how you deal with that. Yeah. So what we do for course fit is just we we look at how different player characteristics and those characteristics characteristics are like driving distance, driving accuracy, and then approach uh, around the green and putting skill. We for all the courses in our data, we just look at how players how those skill sets correlated or how those characteristics correlated with performance of that course. 
And so that takes care of the problem of if a new player comes along that hasn't played a given course, then it's fine. We know his characteristics. We can guess what his course fit's going to be. If it's a new course like this week, we're not really, honestly, you could. I think it would make a good academic paper. I think it's a lot of work that, so if we were going to, yeah, do what you said and say, okay, this course has uh, these characteristics and sort of these other courses. And so we're going to sort of assume they're going to play similar. I think, yeah, that could probably work. Like with golf, there's so much noise that you always underestimate how much data you need to say anything useful. Um, I think you, you, I mean, honestly, we kind of are doing that in the sense that we're using the most basic characteristics of just the length right. of the hole. Um, I think when people normally they think of golf and they realize that there's the shot level data out there, they immediately think like, Oh, like you can be mapping where the bunkers are and you can like do all these things. And it's like, yeah, you, you can do all those things, but if your goal ultimately is like predicting at the end of the day, which ours is for the most part, it's, I don't know, a lot of times it's a lot of work for a lot of nothing. So it's, yeah. So we're, we're not really doing much on that front. And then just to your point on the live player getting siloed. Yeah, that would, that would kind of be, yeah, we couldn't do that basically. Like we, our model relies on interaction between the two tours because it's all a relative thing. And so if they got siloed, we wouldn't be be able to compare them that well. All right. Interesting. And, you know, by, by the way, Matt, we, we would be big fans of the approach you're taking and the limits of what you're trying to do and not trying to be too um, complex in those models. So I, we appreciate the advocacy for the approach you're taking. I think I can speak for us in saying that. Um, we are going to let you go. Uh, very much appreciate making time for us, especially on a major week. Matt, we will talk with you more down the road, but wish you the best with a big week of the year. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Matt Corshane, co-founder of Data Golf. It's a great website for all things golf analytics. They really like Scotty Scheffler this week, by the way, considerably. They like the big three that everyone loves, Scheffler, Rahm, and McElroy, but they really like Scotty. That has been Wharton Moneyball. We want to thank the from the whole crew here, Eric, Shane, Adi, and Cade. We want to thank Matty D for running the show as always. Dion Simpkins, associate boss man. And thank you guys for listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports.